It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Bo, sometimes we really should have let our listeners kind of see behind the curtain of how things go over here. Uh, before you guys, if you're wondering why we have kind of a giggle in our voice, it's because as we this is take two uh, on the recording because as we started today's show, uh, my I have I'm, my my iPod that I typically play our our intros and closings on. I think the battery because it's first generation Apple technology is finally going bad. So I'm using the iPhone today, and the iPhone just called me out and took my man card away <laughs> because all I have I don't have the playlist that I normally have when I'm doing the iPod. So I just I use my 25 most played. You know how you can go to your iPod right, or your iPhone, right. and you go to your 25 most played. So I did the Money Guy intro, and then guys. What was so embarrassing, by the way, we'll get to the meat of this right after this, but I wanted to let y'all see how things work around here. It started playing Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, that's what I thought that was. Yeah, it was Phantom of the Opera. So uh, my man card just got totally ripped (laughs) away from me. But if you're just now joining us, this is The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Sitting across the way from me is um, what I call my producer slash co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen. Go check us out at money-guy.com. You can also write the show. That's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or Bo, B-O, at money-guy.com. We're going to talk about two things today. First, you're going to get to kind of, once again, see even more behind the curtain to see how I think about money and saving money and stretching every dollar I earn. I'm going to kind of go through my purchase process for the new iPad that I just had coming in the last two weeks I'm also going to um, go over some new shopping tips that are going to just revolutionize because there's already been a great service that has done some incredible things for me and my family, saving for college as well as getting cash back. We're now going to be able to kick that up. They just sent out a press re- press release that they were kicking that up in a, a turbo gear with some huge vendors. So we'll talk about that in a second. And then we're going to close out the show talking about investment behavior because you guys – it, it, it cracks me up when I see this quantitative research come out that shows the average investor. I'm not saying it's necessarily you guys listening because, you're hey, you're listening to a financial podcast. That already puts you kind of in that cream of the crop um, quartile of, of investors. But the research is showing the average investor kind of blows at investing. They're not very good at it. So we're going to kind of share some of that data with you. Um, I probably sound a little winded, too, because guess what the day is? We're recording this on Thursday to be released tomorrow on Friday. Today is the 12th. Taxes are due first of next week. And I feel like really doing it all week around here, I feel like I care more than some of my clients care about that filing deadline, meaning they don't care. It certainly seems that way. So we've been scrambling, but today's show I still think is going to be good nonetheless. Um, I really appreciate you guys hanging in there with us. Now, when I was telling you I want to share a little bit about my sickness and well, Bo, I know you said you also, we had some tax saving strategies that you had kind of come up with that we've seen because it is tax time. Kind of give us a lead in on that. Yeah. So one thing that we, we thought was kind of unique is Brian and I both kind of experienced this this week. I actually helped one of my friends um, do, you know, prepare his tax return. And right now, everybody this time of year is thinking, holy cow, what can I be doing to save some money on taxes? And this friend of mine, he, he, um, he had some W-2 wages, but he also had some independent contracting wages um, that came through on Schedule C of his income tax return. And so uh, it turned out that he ended up owing a pretty good chunk to both the federal and state government. He's like, man, what, you know, what can I do about this? 
And immediately, you know, I kind of went over this and I said, you know what we ought to do is we ought to set up a SEP IRA for you. That's a, a retirement plan that you can set up. Well, anyways, we were able to do that. And essentially what we were able to do is the money that he put into that SEP IRA, the government funded 30% of it through tax savings. So he put an X amount of dollars, knocked his, uh, knocked his taxes down by, you know, 30% of X. And it was pretty incredible. And I think you had a similar conversation, what, 45 minutes to an hour ago. Yeah, I had a, I had a client that were doing an extension for him. And they, um, they owe, a, you know, close to a five-figure amount to the federal government. And he calls me back. I could tell, you know, it kind of ticked him off a little bit that he owed the government this money. And he called me back probably 15 minutes after we had our extension conversation. He goes, if I put more in my 401k, would that help? I said, well, let's pull up the numbers. Let's look at your, your marginal tax rate, see how that plays out. We found out it's exactly what Bo said. By putting more money in his 401k, it was going to save him approximately, he was in the 28% bracket, plus the 6% that Georgia gets. It was going to be a 34% over a third of his contribution was going to come from tax savings. Now, the thing he said that um, I also thought was a value-added moment was he goes, but my 401k stinks because I'm with a small employer. I know it's with a high-cost fee structure type company. I said, hey, we do 401ks. You know, let your, your boss man know about us because there, there's been some new technology innovations that have occurred, just like you guys are able to do flicks and your cable TV and your satellite. Your investments are the same way, and 401ks have become a lot more affordable because there's come some new players in town um, that, that really provide some high-level 401ks with some incredible opportunities um, that are all legal but cut bottom prices on, on how good the values are. Yeah, sort of to give you an idea, if you're a small business owner, essentially used to, if you wanted to set up, if you had employees and you wanted to set up a 401k that participants could, could actually be involved in, I mean, it would cost what? Anywhere from 4500 to six or $7,000 yeah, a year the in The testing was so expensive, yeah. the 5500s and, and... And so it would cost that much. Well, what we've done is, is we've actually found a very low cost provider who um, you're looking at your administration expenses for this 401k, $1,500 to $2,000. Well, if you're putting a substantial amount away, you can see how the tax savings very quickly will pay for what you're paying in administration costs. So uh, we feel pretty, pretty, um, pretty excited that we get to help people manage the 401ks. And then what's even cooler than that is this company allows us to use the same mutual funds and, uh, and actually some ETFs that we use for our wealth management clients. So instead of being stuck with a lot of the, for, the, the funds that 401k plans used to offer, you can actually get a super efficient, low-cost plan with some jam-up, incredible uh, funds, fund choices. So uh, pretty, pretty neat stuff going out there in that marketplace. Now let's get into the fun stuff. Okay, everybody's been crazy about the new iPad. And I'm kind of the same way, you know, because I'm, I'm the type of guy who skips generations on Apple products, meaning that I have the first generation iPad. I skipped the iPad too because it just didn't look like it had a lot more functionality. I'm now ready. I was ready to buy the new iPad HD. So my problem is I have a strong problem with buying price-controlled items. Price-controlled items are things that you know the vendors don't let them drop the prices on it. Now, you might be able to... I remember when Walmart started doing iPhones and iPods, I think they got to sell them for $2 cheaper than everywhere else, and that's probably some negotiations that Walmart had when they, they started to do it. Well, it's, it's, it bothers me to pay full price because I've told you guys my goal is to make my money last 
three to 7% better than the average person out there. So if things are price controlled, it, it ticks me off a little bit because my money should go further because I'm better at shopping for deals just like you guys should be able to get some premium or reward for that. So I started thinking, okay, how am I going to get the iPad cheaper? Well, my original goal was, you know, I've told you guys, we've done a previous podcast, the Target card that I have with Target gives me 5% automatically off when you go to the cash register. Well, if you go on Target, you can see all the iPads are pretty much gone. You can't order them on the internet. Um, you just have to go in store and get them, and most of their inventories have been exhausted. So that was going to be 5% with the red card. Well, I was going to kick it up a notch, because if you take your 5% red card, plus go through Upromise or Ebates, a lot of times they pay 3 to 5%. So I had visions of getting 8 to 10% off of my purchase by playing this online purchase game. Well, as, you, as I just already told you, Target's not even doing online yet because I'm sure Apple hasn't licensed them to do that yet. You can only buy really from the phone carriers or Apple directly. So that, that plan got thrown out. So I pulled the trigger, I bought the iPad. Well, the same night, I noticed I got an email from Discover Card saying, hey, we'll give you 5% off anything you buy from the Apple store. So I quickly canceled my order used my Discover card to buy the, the new iPad, so I got my 5% off. And here's the only gotcha that I'm worried about, and I shared it with Bo, because I want to tell you guys, don't outsmart yourself, is that remember in the podcast on the extended warranties, Discover card does not give you that extended warranty coverage like American Express, your Visa signature cards do. So I'm wondering, is that 5%, that $40 I saved on my iPad, worth the loss of the one year of additional coverage if I'd have bought it with my Amex. But that's that's here nor there, but I want to give you these buying tips so you guys could make sure you're stretching your dollar as well. And that rolls right into the brand new email announcement that I got this week. On April the 9th, I got an email from You Promise. You guys know You Promise, I've been touting them for years. I pulled it up just because I wanted to use it in the show today. I have over a thousand dollars it's in a You Promise 529 plan that I haven't put money in. Uh, did you hear what I just said? Now, I have 529 plans for both of my daughters as well here in the state of Georgia because we get an income tax deduction for, you know, for funding those 529 plans. But with You Promise 529 plan, I have $1,000 from just shopping. I didn't have to put any money in. It's all from shopping. That's an incredible thing that just by signing up at youpromise.com, I'm getting these benefits. Now, here's the thing. They just sent out an email that they've turbocharged their program. Now, you use go to walmart.com, 5% cash back. You go to target.com, 5% cash back. On top of that, use your Target red card. You can start to see how this really adds up. Kohl's, 5%. It is amazing what you can get by using this you promise online shopping program. The other one that I've started using that you guys have emailed me, and I think it's incredible. We even go put a link out there for you because guess what? If you use this link that we're going to set up on the Money Guy Show website, money-guy.com. Don't worry, Nikki, I'm going to be providing this to you after the show. If you follow this link, it helps us. I'll just go ahead and tell you, shameless plug, please use the link if you're thinking about doing this. If you didn't know about Ebates, Ebates is a pretty good deal. I, you know, I've been hearing about it. I finally figured I'd try it out. And what I found with Ebates is when you first register, 
you get to choose between a Target gift card for $10. As, there was several others. I ended up choosing the Target. I think it was Target, Home Depot. There might have been Bed Bath & Beyond maybe. But you'll see it. It pops yeah, right yeah. up on the screen when you follow the link. You'll get to choose. So the first time you make a purchase, they're going to not only get you some cash back on wherever you're buying from, it's also going hard that they're asking about. The reason I even tried Ebates is that I was buying... That's right, I have a, a toy. I have a Jeep Wrangler, a 2001 that is my baby. I call it my girlfriend because I hang out with her so much. But um, my Jeep, um, also known as the Beast, I wanted to put a winch on the front. So I was buying a winch for the front of the Jeep and I noticed that the site I was buying from, fourwheelparts.com, was not part of Upromise, meaning there's no rebates or anything coming from Upromise. But if you go through Ebates, four-wheel parts gets 4% back. So I was able to get close to 25 bucks back um, from buying my winch through this website first. And I'm gonna get the 10% Target card, an incredible, incredible opportunity. Bo, I, I see you're itching to pick on me about something. You said your girlfriend's a beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, they're not, they don't really go hand in hand. I say it's because it's known as the beast for my friends because, you know, it's all jacked up. It's got the winch on it. I mean, it, 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 the side of hills. But then I tell my wife I spend so much time with it. This is my midlife, you know, type right, thing, right, you right. know. So the, the sentence wasn't supposed to go hand in hand. I mean, because the kids love it too. So it, it's an incredible thing. But that's kind of where we want to go. We're going to put links on all on the Money Guy website if you want to go check out these two things. We, like I said, we've got Upromise and then we've got Ebates. These are incredible opportunities that you're going to be able to stretch your buying dollars that much further. Bo, did you have anything you wanted to add on those those no, type of things? No, I think it's great. And then uh, one, you know, one thing that I've learned is with Upromise, even if you don't have children yet, if you're if you're a young person who is not not yet. Um, you know, had any children, you can actually set up a Upromise account and go ahead and start putting money in there right now, you know, for a, for an unnamed future beneficiary. And, you know, what I like is you can also sign up your friends and family to start buying things for you. My relatives are deadbeats, though, and won't do it. So, but um, you can get other people to sign up and also help fund the, your child's college education. I, th I think about that. You know, my oldest child is not even 10 yet. Right. So $1,000 right now. What do you think these accounts are going to be worth by the time they're, they're 20? Let's go buy more than one to two textbooks. I can tell you that. Absolutely. So that's a pretty incredible opportunity. Now, the second part of today's show. Bo thinks this is going to be boring. Now, I don't know if that's not good selling. No, come on now. Come on. Hold that's on. not good out, selling out, to, to tell people that, but I think he's wrong. I didn't say that it was going to be boring. I said it's all in the presentation because this thing is chock full of data and awesome information. But you kind of got to read through it and get through some of the nerdiest, nerdiness to really get the good stuff. What bothers me is because Bo is very good at his job, but the, he, I don't know if he's as geeky as I am is what I'm realizing. is because like I get very excited about Berkshire Hathaway's annual report. I also get very excited when Dalbar comes out with their research on their quantitative analysis of investment behavior. Now, now, right there, I know most of you just got incredibly excited when you heard quantitative analysis of investment behavior. Because when I think of a good time, that's what I think of. Well, here's the thing. What this tells me, and maybe it is because I'm a professional money manager, but this, like, this looks at behavior of investors 
and tells you what they're doing good, what they're doing right, what they're screwing up on, and really what the long-term track record is. And believe me, guys, y'all know how we do this. We do very advanced concepts, but we make them as fun as possible. And I and like I, that they tell why. When, they, when it talks yeah. about when, when the average investor, they say, the reason this happens is because of this specific behavior, which I think is incredible. So you'll go to the website, and I'll make sure Nikki puts this up too, but it's QAIB.com. Um, QAIB.com. They have a draft version. I would encourage you, if you're an investment advisor, this is the type of stuff that you probably want to be buying for your clients to, to look at and enjoy. So feel free to, to look at what Dalbar is sending out there. So let's kind of look at the data that we have here. The first thing that they kind of looked at was retention rates. Now, how many pod podcast shows have I done where I talk about that to be even considered a long-term investor? You don't, do not want to uh, consider pulling your money out unless you can lock that money up for five to seven years. When we're talking to prospects, we say, look, if you need this money in the next two to three years, don't put it in the bond market. Don't put it in the stock market. Put it in cash because you're going to need that money. And just in case something crazy happens, you don't have enough time to kind of ride it out to see if you're going to be okay. Well, this is what they found after all their research for the last 20 years. The average holding period retention rate for equity investors is 3.29 years. That's Wait a minute. It. I just told you guys you need to keep your money locked up for five years to really even consider doing this. And I just now I'm sharing with you that the average equity investor does 3.29. That doesn't compute. The second thing, fixed income, bond investors. These are supposed to be people that are very conservative. You know, they're putting their money in there, forgetting about it, just want the yield and the interest that this is going to pay them. The holding period for the bond marketplace, 3.09. Also not long-term. Very surprising to me. I, I moved on and I started looking at, I, I thought it was kind of interesting, they had the investor fund flows and market performance. Hey, does, uh, this kind of answers the age-old question, can the average investor time what's going on in the marketplace? And this is exactly what they said. For calendar year 2011, we can see more clearly how investors' attempts to time the market are futile. The largest uptick in the S&P 500 occurred in September, a month when fund flows were close to 0% of total assets. Fund flows were near 10% of total assets two months later. Unfortunately, by that time, the S&P had lost nearly half of its September gains. So if, you, if, if this would answer, if you're the type of person wondering out there, if you watch, if you wake up in the middle of the night and there's an infomercial with these timing strategies, day trading software that you can put on your computer, guys, this proves it. Looking at the research, people don't have the magic ball that is, is telling them the answers on how they should be buying and selling. So I thought that data was pretty incredible. Looking at the, um, the difference of irrational decisions and the volatility and how that plays out just on an annual basis, and then we'll take it out and go to the 20-year time frame. But look at this for the last year. In 2011, this is what they said, market volatility reigned supreme. Additionally, the credit quality of U.S. Treasuries was downgraded, and at the same time, these safe, and they used the, the, the rabbit ears, quote, safe investments outperformed the equity markets by a wide margin. Now, remember, a theme that I've been saying for months now, what in the past has been perceived as safe might be a lot riskier now, and what in the past has been perceived as risky in the past 
is probably a lot safer based upon a valuation standpoint. And that ties into what they're saying here in the fact of investor behavior, because it says the results were that equity investors, the average equity investor, lost 5.73% in their flight to safety in the year 2011, compared to what the S&P 500 did at 2.12%. Now, really, the S&P 500 didn't make 2.12 on its own. What that is, is it basically was flat on what the price did, but it made about 2% from a dividend yield. So that's where that 2% comes from. So if you'd have just bought and held the S&P 500, you'd have made a little over 2%, but the average equity investor actually lost 5.73%. As you can see, we're getting close to a 7 to 8% spread on an annual basis just in the last year. That was, that was shocking to me. It really surprised me. If you look at over on the fixed income side, the average bond investor made 1.34%, where the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index actually made 7.84%. So once again, another huge underperformance because investors just were not good at the timing and staying put, and, or maybe the choices of investments weren't doing everything they were supposed to do. And let's, let's remember, though, that Barclays aggregate, that, that's because of what Treasuries did last year, and the Barclays is roughly 80% Treasuries now because of the government printing, printing all think, that money. I don't think it's 80, I mean, it's not, 50. Not 80%, I think it's close to, it's 40 to 50%. It, but right. it's, it's huge. I mean, it's, right. if you're a bond, if guys, I'll go ahead and tell you, I love bond index investing in the past because for, for practically free, you were able to go buy bond index funds and you were good. I mean, you could just do what the market's going to do and you didn't pay hardly anything for fees. Bond indexes are trouble right now. So be careful, do your research because they have been, Bo is exactly right that they have become highly skewed because of how much treasury um, bonds and treasury notes that have been submitted and printed by our federal government. You know, and, and they, they have a strategy. That's why they're doing that. I just want you to be aware of what's going on with that. So, so be very careful as you're doing your index investing. That's where sometimes you do see these market changes that occur that if you're not aware of them, just going with the passive investment style might not be the best endeavor for you because you can get caught you know, kind of in something you weren't intending to get caught up in. Um, looking at that and extending that one-year basis out to the 20-year level of, of how investor returns ranked compared to the benchmarks, I thought this was interesting because it showed for the last 20 years the average equity investor made 3.49% per year. That sounds almost like an inflation rate. Right. That doesn't sound like a long-term investment return. That sounds like what inflation was going up. But 3.49%. So it sounds like the average investor was basically just keeping up with inflation. Whereas the S&P 500 averaged 7.81%. So there was a 4.32% per year difference. You do that over 20 years, guys, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars if this is your retirement plan. So be very aware that a 1% to 2% swing in your performance or the fee structure can really have a huge difference on your long-term performance. So a 4.32% difference is catastrophic. That really is. That's a big, big deal. If you look at the average fixed income bond investor, they did 0.94 over the last 20 years. The average bond index did 6.5%. That's a 5.57% difference. That's also catastrophic, guys. The timing is killing the average investor. So I would tell you, if you're, if you're one of those guys and you go out there and you run your last annual report, go run your own performance report for yourself. 
go run it for the last three years, run it for the last five years, how well you did. And if you did what's going on here in the Dalbar study, you might need to get some help. Um, I think that's a good transition, you know, to also let you guys know, we said it in the last podcast, I want to repeat it, is that on the show, we've now also released on the free side, knowing when to go pro. Go check it out. It's, you know, some good objective advice on when you might want to decide to, to kind of get somebody in the professional side of things to help you with your money management. So maybe you can handle the volatility because I don't know that volatility is necessarily going away from our financial markets. I do think that we have some tremendous potential if we can get our, our global debt issues under control. I think if you start looking at the rising middle class down in South America, the rising middle class over there in Asia, as well as just the the, the screaming rate of innovation that we have going on with technology, there's still a lot of things to get very excited about. But if you're not being able to take advantage of that with your own personal investments because your emotions are getting in the way, get somebody to help you out because guess what, guys? It's not going to get easier. As we get closer to retirement, you're going to have more and more stresses come upon you as you're trying to figure out, do you have enough money for the future? Get somebody to help you out. You know, I told you guys in the past, I don't know if I've repeated it in a number of months, I grew up in a household where my parents were incredible savers. I think that's where my tightwad ways come from. The problem was they were such tightwads, they never wanted to pay anybody anything to invest. Their idea of investing was a CD. And I look back and I see how my father-in-law, who I don't think was as good of a saver as my parents were, but he invested in the Fidelity Magellan Fund and mutual funds like that. His assets did incredibly well compared to my parents' CDs. And I just, I look back and I see lost opportunity. And what I really see is the lost opportunity. What's the hardest thing to becoming financially independent? The hardest thing is actually having the discipline to defer gratification and be a saver. If you can do the deferring of gratification and being a saver, you've conquered probably 80% of the struggle. But if you don't go and get something and get the right products, if you're not the right type of person who's the right do-it-yourselfer, believe me, there are plenty of good do-it-yourselfers. I've seen their portfolios. Some of them are even clients, even though we say, hey, you're doing a great job. They still become clients because they're worried about their wives and other things. Get help. Do something so that you don't wake up 20, 30 years in the future and go, wow, I built up this pot of money, but what could have been? And that's really the thing I think you have to ask yourself. Or, or you wake up and you're getting close to retirement and you have enough money, and then you wake up and now you don't have enough because maybe you took too much risk. I mean, it works both ways. I mean, we've seen those cases actually walk through the doors and it breaks my heart because I'm like, you won the game, you just didn't kind of finish it out right. the way it should have been. So, Bo, I know I kind of went on a whole, I'll, I'll step off my soapbox now and kind of <laughs> give you a chance to... Any thoughts, any closing thoughts you had before we wrap this up today? Definitely. If if you have a chance, go check out the Dalbar study because it is pretty unique. And they even have some stuff in there about um, if you are one of these people that's susceptible to making these decisions, there might be some solutions out there for you um, that you can kind of implement yourself while you're in the accumulation phase that might keep help you stay the course. But uh, really, really, really interesting stuff uh, if you're if you're into the statistics, into the numbers. Mm-hmm. I think he was just CYA and guys because he pit, we were talking about in pre-show planning. I think he was telling me he didn't know if this was going to be good stuff. But um, I, I really appreciate you guys. Like I said, I think we could kick this up a notch every now and then by letting y'all do a bloopers reel or something so you could hear how crazy it is. But we really do appreciate you guys writing the positive comments on iTunes. Coming back and listening to us warms our heart more than you ever could realize. Write the show, check us out, but go to money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. 
and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. If you were sick enough to hang around after disclaimer, this is what Where's actually played telling, afterwards. Randy? Nope, that's not actually what came on. That's another song that came on. That's awesome. Big Pimpin' is also on my 25 most played. <laughs> No, actually, the, the song that was supposed to come up was this. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't go off the cuff here. We should just play Horny Scratch and be done with it. Yeah, th- this was the close-up. Nobody actually listens past the disclaimer, do they? Here, let's close it out with, this, with Horny Scratch. 